Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. In the studio tonight, it's Ian and Chris and Mark. Anybody that feels the calling <laughs> to, to pick, up, pick trash. up people's trash, I think should be thanked from the bottom of our hearts because that is one of the worst jobs you could probably possibly have. And you really have to have a love for something like that, you know, just to, to see things getting clean. And there are people like that in the world, right? Like that they, they just they get satisfaction out of cleaning up after people yeah and you know you know it's funny is i actually have a shirt with uh you guys know the thin blue line on it yeah uh well i have one with a thin green line on it for the trash people with, yeah oscar the grouch uh <laughs> right. you know with his character and it's more to make fun of the thin blue line uh folks but i actually do got respect for you know people who pick up trash they make a you know, huge difference they're doing an honest job and yeah i mean think what about we where do we'd without be them? with if, right yeah. <laughs> what would we do without them and uh, I've, I sort of feel the guys that uh, plow are on this. They're important. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, definitely. On this list. People down south don't really understand that, although they might now. <laughs> like, you know, well, they, they don't today. because there's no plows down there. Yeah, that's right. Um, or no ice or uh, salt either. So it's incredibly treacherous. I was on in Dallas road. last year about this time, and they had two one one two inches of mm-hmm. snowfall. And people are dying everywhere. They were shut down yeah. for two days. Yeah, you can't go anywhere because you know it just gonna... it just kind of melted a little bit, turned into sheets yeah. of ice. You'll clear careen right off that road. Yeah, that hi- that highway. Uh, so there's a story about this guy who's an entrepreneur. We can get into that, but I know Chris, you uh, have been doing an amazing job at writing up every day from all ten days of court for the Crypto Six trial that I just uh, got out of. Yeah. And uh, on the positive side, I didn't have to go to court today. Didn't have to wake up <laughs> yeah. at 6.30 in the morning. That's true. On the negative side, I was found guilty of all eight counts, uh, which is a real, you know, a real bummer. I don't think anybody saw yeah. it, I think some people might have said, oh, yeah, there could have been a couple of guilties just because people didn't uh, understand money transmission. And, you know, there's some kind I'm of a, quirky stuff with that. You're an optimist. And I have to say, I'm not. I, I have this pessimistic, you know, view of the system. And Oh, it, I'm pretty pessimistic it, towards juries. I absolutely never imagined that they would come back uh, with all eight counts. Yeah. Yeah. And clearly what the jury was saying was, um, you know, we, uh, we we don't feel sympathy for Mr. Freeman. Yeah. Uh, we don't care what the law says. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. We what we care about is that these victims, um, you know, they got hurt and we hate it. Someone must get you punished. Know, yeah. I. I, I I have to wonder. So I know there was at least one hater on the jury um, in that case, and I think she she ended up being an alternate. But I wonder mm-hmm. if there were others that we just don't know about. Yeah, could well, have been. Um, there, there may be haters, but you you don't have twelve haters. Those people didn't. Maybe not. They didn't argue. It doesn't mean there that was, they didn't influence the other jury members. Within, sure. How and if many hours? Had a strong opinion. Then how many hours did the jury deliberate? Six, eight. about five. Yeah, it wasn't long. And in that amount of time, they had to come up with, you know, what are our hours going to be? What, um, you know, like let's go through each of these charges and a whole yep. variety of things. They did, they, you know, they were ready to find you guilty on at, le- at the very least some, if not most, off the bat. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't. I'm not of the opinion that one strong individual influenced. I don't think this it had jury. to be one strong individual either. Yeah. You're right. I, I definitely. I mean, as we were saying, you know, juries are already finicky, right? They're yeah. already slanted towards the prosecution. So you're right on that. It didn't necessarily have to be the case, but I still wonder if if that was. And having know, a, sat a, in a there, part. 
I didn't think the prosecution made its case. Mm-hmm. I thought that, uh, you know, I watched and I saw Sisti make the better case. It's my turning. And, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, well, and we didn't even have to make a case, right? Like, yep. it's the prosecution's obligation to prove beyond well, a reasonable see, doubt all the counts. And that's that's the theory of it, right? That's that's yeah. the logic of it. But that's not how that's not how the real world works. No. That's not how juries work. It's, you know, that's how they're supposed to work. Apparently. That's mm-hmm. the marking. Yeah. That's the propaganda behind it. But this is why our system, it, it doesn't it doesn't work. Well, um, it worked for the system, though. I said long yeah, ago. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, true. I said before this, um, before we ever you know saw this, is if... I'm sitting at trial. I would prefer to have a three-judge panel deciding what happens to me it's, because at the very least, they look at the law mm-hmm. and mm. they, they're going to try to figure out what – they know what a reasonable doubt is and they're going to look at the law. I don't feel like that occurred here. Um, you know, I'm not trying to say the jury's a bunch of dum-dums or anything like that, but they don't – they're not professional. Yeah, they're lawyers. not professionals. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it would have mattered, honestly, but, you know, I, I definitely I, – let me put it this way. I don't necessarily think that the jury is the – I don't necessarily think it's a clear-cut winner as far as how you get tried, whether it's a bench trial or, you know, a jury. But yep. um, mm-hmm. at the same time, I don't necessarily know that a judge would have ruled differently because a judge is still – they're not that different from that person those people on the jury oh, they're still working um, for the government and one, most of the but. time they're they're former prosecutors anyway they, they're trained you know to, and that's the case of this judge he right a former prosecutor exactly what you know is the case of this judge and the judge already at one point in a hearing instructed the uh prosecutor to go after you for 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 something that the prosecutor said wasn't uh had no basis and it's like okay well that's basically saying mob justice hang him from a tree it's like how how is that a fair trial i mean the judge isn't even uh, you know impartial like he's supposed to be you know, we talk about like how do these how do how does the system work, right? And especially a jury with the juries. And I, it's my understanding that the juries decide on the facts, but the judge decides on the law. Mm-hmm. Is that is that correct? That's is that, correct. Is that yeah. your understanding of it? Okay. So, um, and that's kind of interesting because you know at this point, um, it's 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 the law that that matters, I believe, and not so much the facts. The facts have decided you're not going to undo you know what the jury decided um yeah. unless there's an issue with the law that was such as for example um the judge at one point ruled that bitcoin uh is funds, is funds, funds right yeah. and of course if that's something that's appealable then you know uh and and uh, uh i guess an appellate court decides no it's not well then i don't know what happens i guess a new trial I don't, i'm not not entirely sure mm, but yeah i, I think that that's would be good point. what would end up happening because how you can't undo you can't undo it. You can't fix it any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll bet you it'd be an interesting question to ask a judge. How many cases have you presided over where you regret the decision that the jury made? Hmm. The judges don't get a lot of jury trials, period. No. I mean, you know, they can, two years, two years since the last one in uh, this court. Right. I mean, you know, this guy's I don't know. I mean, but if these numbers are correct and he sits on the bench 20 years, he's going to have 10 jury trials. Hmm. I'm not saying that's the case. But if you had 20 jury trials in your life, that's not very many. No. And um, I mean, it's certainly not what you expect when you watch Law and Order on the television because <laughs> yeah, they have right. a new jury trial every week. Right. Um, and. So I'm just wonder how many judges, you know, if you have to ask judges, like how many do you th- do you think do you think somebody got found guilty that shouldn't have been found guilty? You know, what do you what do you think about this? And I do ask and have asked judges, um, what do you think about the the jury? Because I've always disliked juries and have said so on the air many many times. Mm, I don't like them. What have judges said to you? They this is when they're off duty. 
You mean? When yeah, when they're off duty. And they range from uh, the United States has the best uh, criminal justice system in the world sure. to, which I've heard many times, yeah. Um, yeah. to, yeah, I don't trust him either. And I'd rather be, you know, I'd rather have a three-judge panel than, mm. than anything because I'd rather be judged by the law. You know, it might be the best system in the world, but it's sad and pathetic nonetheless. <laughs> I don't know if it's the best system in the world. I don't know either, but I'm just saying, like, I'll just take it, for, take their word for it. It's the best system in the world, but it's sad if, and pathetic. If our criminal justice system is the best in the world, then it is the best thing to do to incarcerate people wholesale. Because we have ten times yeah, we do. the next closest place, and the next closest mm-hmm. place is awful. What is the next? Is, is it China? It's China. It's got to be China. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and those are people that are being held because of ethnicity. I think the closing statement um, was was particularly disgusting, and the, the the closing statement or the rebuttal closing statement because they got two both of them two cracks both at of it. them. Yeah. But um, that and the because uh, he was lying. What the Justice Department came out at, with after the the verdict, the press um, release. Yeah, I mean every other word you know that is being uttered by these by, by the prosecution in the closing statement and in the Justice Department in the, their press release. Um, it was a, some sort of liar manipulation, mm-hmm. um, and it was just it was just disgusting. And it's like every everything was rebutted in in the trial, and it's like they of course just ignored it. Which I mean, it's to their personal benefit, and um, yeah, it was it was just disgusting. Well, they're trying to make Bitcoin look dangerous, mm. right? They're trying to make Bitcoin look bad, and that oh, you Bitcoin, oh yeah, it's legal, it's legal to buy and sell Bitcoin. You just have to do it the way well, the government I mean, says it's, so. It's even worse than that because they're 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 trying to say that because you used Bitcoin or sold Bitcoin and it was anonymous when it wasn't, in fact, which is one of the things that drives me nuts. He kept saying it's you know anonymous, and it's like, well, hold on, hold on a second. You, especially in relation to the scams, which is what they're talking about, you actually ID'd these people. You know, it was the church of the policy of the church to ID these people. So how can you say it was anonymous Bitcoin? It wasn't anonymous Bitcoin. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, Bitcoin is not anonymous per se. It's pseudonymous. Right. And they went from pseudo anonymous to anonymous. They, yeah, they, they explained they, they to the used jury both terms. Right. What pseudo anonymous was versus anonymous, and then they go and call it anonymous. Yeah. It's like they're outright liars. Well, um, well, I will say this: their strategy worked. It yeah. did. Um, it it sure was did. it was successful. The other thing I wonder to myself when I think about buying Bitcoin um, and scams and these kind of things is how many people. Like one thing that never got talked about in the trial by either side is. Um, and and uh, Seth, uh, what's his last name? A-Frame uh, harped on this uh, issue of, well, Ian was charging so much more than the exchanges charge. Oh, my ex- God. Now, now, I mean, you know, I, I agree with you. It's, yeah. a, it's a different system, right? It doesn't doesn't make a difference. It's like comparing a car dealer to a used car sales place. It's, you know, completely different businesses. It, 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 but it, it, hold on, hold on. Sorry. Um, the, you know, my, the question I have is how many people using a Coinbase account are getting scammed, scammed or are, are scammers? I don't know yes. the answer, but what is the advantage to buying on local bitcoins that there isn't on Coinbase? Because I've used these exchanges in the past, well, and I can say that if you put Bitcoin in and sell it for USD, you get your money. And I can't imagine it's that much different in um. You know, in this circumstance, because all that would happen is this little old lady takes a picture and, you know, sends it her passport and does mm-hmm. all the things that you asked her to do. Right. Mm-hmm. OK, so nothing really was different there. Once you send in your, your wire transfers to Coinbase, you turn your money into BTC like mm-hmm. the scammer asks. 
Then you wire it out to another, excuse me, you uh, send out your BTC to a, a, an address. It has to, to be the scammer's address, a confirmed right? address, right? It has to be a confirmed address. What does that mean? Confirmed well, address. I don't know precisely, but I can tell you that it's only one address that I send out things on an exchange. You can put a new address in and you in can an do it later, yeah. but it, it has to go through a process of some sort. So the scammer knows what the the government knows what particular address it was sent to because mm-hmm. Coinbase can say. And then well, they, they know that, too, with the local Bitcoins. They know that with local Bitcoins. They know it with your stuff. I mean, I don't see anything different. I would only imagine that Coinbase and, and I don't want to put single out Coinbase here, Kraken, you know, the major exchanges in the United States are all being used for scams. Of course they are, they're, but they're registered. So it's totally fine. There's There, there are a couple different. I think between local bitcoins and the church, and you know something like Kraken. One Kraken's got the volume, right? These exchange, actual bitcoin exchanges have the volume, so their fees can be lower, right? Um, sellers on local, you know, bitcoin, um, you know, they're gonna have they're gonna have a little bit higher fees, right? Um, but there's also uh, there's another there's another aspect of it too, potentially, and that is potentially a little bit of privacy or a little bit of more privacy. However, mm-hmm. that wasn't the case with the church because the church was doing the same process that the banks do and the same process that that uh, you know Kraken did. So it at least wasn't the case for um, you know when when it, when somebody was using uh, local Bitcoin to purchase crypto from the from the Shire Free Church. And that's what I don't understand about this is why does one do. Why do, why do people want to use local Bitcoin if there's no fundamental difference between the exchange and... I would say it's a convenience factor uh, in a lot of cases because uh, you cannot go and deposit cash in Kraken's bank account. And there's a lot of people yeah, that are selling Bitcoin true. for cash deposits on local Bitcoins. There's you know, also also other options for, for buying things on local Bitcoins, like you can go and buy a gift card or something like that. I know there's, it's one of those higher risk things, but there are lower risk and higher risk uh, ways to buy on local Bitcoins. And there's a whole wide range of different options that you just don't have when it comes to a Bitcoin exchange. All you can do there is wire in money. And that's it. Well, yours was you were doing the low risk way, which mm-hmm. is, I think, amusing that uh, somehow, um, you know, you you get brought up on charges for doing the low risk thing. You were yeah. doing the low risk thing, but um, you got scammed and had to deal with scammers yes. on multiple occasions. Yeah. I and, was a victim uh, and of a scammers. lot more occasions than um, than you knew, mm-hmm. in fact. Yep. And that didn't matter. Yeah. It, it, I guess it, it didn't uh, matter. Yep. I can only imagine that anybody who tries anything higher risk is just ripped off every time. Vernon is on the line in Louisiana. Go ahead, Vernon. So I had a couple of questions about the trial now that it's over, um, and I can stay on or take them off the air. So one, were you happy with how you were represented by your attorney? Two, do you plan on getting a new attorney for your appeal? And three, do you feel like the... If you do an appeal, do you feel like you're going to take a different approach with your defense, or do you feel like the defense that you have used, you know, the the, the topic of your defense, do you feel like? Okay. So was, I get I get what your question was, is, and uh, the way appeals work is you can only appeal on questions of law, so you don't get to just like take another crack at the case or whatever you don't you don't have an alternative theory or you don't get to re-argue your existing theory you're not trying to convince the the appeal judges this is my understanding of how this works you're not trying to convince the appeal judges that the jury was you know mistaken per se or whatever what you're trying to convince the judges of is that there was some sort of error made by the court at the lower level that should result in 
or in this case the prosecutors or whatever, by, at the lower level, that should result in the charges being reversed or the convictions being reversed. And that's my understanding of, of how this works. Uh, and further, yes, I think Mark Sisti is a great attorney. I'm uh, very happy with what he did. I think he did a fantastic job. It's just this jury just wasn't. They were just buying whatever the prosecution was selling them, unfortunately, and it was really – it's unfortunate. But uh, – so, yeah, I'm sticking with Mark Sisti for sure. Yeah, I, I, something, and one other, something I, you might want to paint to note to, though, is the government spent, God knows, millions of dollars on this case. I mean, the, 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 the prosecution – On the investigation. On the investigation. Yeah. And even in, like, the, in, the, in the trial, they have, like, six people. You know, it's, it's a Mark and Ian, right? So it's, it's very disproportional, in, you know, in terms of your, your defense. It's, 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 not, it's not like you've got, you know, a team of lawyers. I mean, you're, this isn't an O.J. Simpson sort of situation where there's 20 lawyers on staff, uh, you know, helping you figure out every little thing in, in, in terms of, you know, making a defense to every other one of their stupid arguments, you know? Yeah, but I still, I, I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not part of the, the church, your church or anything, and, and so I'm kind of an outsider here, and obviously I didn't sit in the trial at all. I just, I just heard about it on Free Talk Live and also occasionally read about it in the news. Um, you know, but to me, I just felt like your defense was a little weak compared to the evidence that the, and I'm not, I'm not taking sides here. I am giving you my straight up opinion. I felt like, like it was more, you know, I don't know. I felt like the closing argument, especially just from what I've read and, you know, what I've heard on here was a little weak in it, in it, in it, you know, and I know it's too late now for it's too late. that to be yeah. done. But let, me, let me ask, let me ask one other question and I promise to let you all go. Did your bail conditions or anything change? And I know it's not bail anymore. Whatever you know, did, I'm glad you're out until you get sentenced. Pre-sentencing um, confinement did they, did they at this apply point. Any additional, any any additional, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm I'm on uh, what they call home confinement again, as I was initially when I first got bail in the summer of 2021. The difference this time is I don't have the leg uh, shackle or whatever the leg transmitter. So can you talk a little bit about where the government said that you disabled the get to know your customer software? And I'm sorry if that's not the right uh, the right terminology for that, but I, I did see that in their press release that you quoted a day or two ago. Um, and I was just curious what, what that was about and if you have any comments on that. Uh, actually, they're they're incorrect. When you get one of these machines, that stuff is not enabled to begin with. So I didn't technically disable yeah, it. Yeah, that was I just well, didn't enable it. That wasn't well. I thought responded to in in the in the. I don't think it would have mattered. I don't, I don't think, think it, it necessarily mattered. mattered either. But it's it's just one of those things that I was I was irritated about too when it, when it came up and it they kept saying it and it's like no that's that's not what happened and I know I know somebody testified to that that it was disabled but that wasn't correct I think it was Chris Reitman. Um I don't think he did it intentionally but. Um, you know, it's just that, you know, it's one of these things where it's like if you weren't the one who set it up and, you know, the only person who did doesn't say anything about it. It's, you know, it was our 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 uh, policy that it was a private machine. Right. It was a private sale between two uh, participants. It's all they would have said is um, he intentionally did not enable the yeah. KYC that was on the thing. So they would have just turned it around but, a little bit. I think that, you know, I think the the Cupid doll here, the the winning prize in this is. What is there to learn from this, and how can we grow as people from what occurred? Because we can either continue to think the way we did beforehand and continue to get the results that we got, 
or we can take whatever instruction we got from this situation and get something new. It's up to you. I, I think that's assuming that we didn't know what we were getting into in the first place, or Ian didn't know what he was getting into in the first Did place. Did you know you're getting into up to 20 years in prison? No, I thought that this was going to be a money transmitter charge, and that's about it. I really didn't think that there would be... Uh, you know, I, I knew they were going to try a money laundering, right. but I sure. figured... Well, I told the guy no, so I didn't think that would actually end up happening, and I certainly didn't stick, think... Right? I, I certainly right. didn't think that I would get convicted of it, right, right. I told the guy no when he said he was a heroin dealer. Uh, but uh, they convicted me of it anyway because they well, they can't. Local paper and up there say that you may only get eight years though, or did I misread that? I don't know. I don't know where all the numbers are coming from. All I, I know I is I heard know. the prosecutor say 240 months when they uh, the judge asked. Him. Yeah, it, it, eight years was from uh, the prosecutor outside the courtroom that he said to the Sentinel. So, oh really? At, at least eight years is what he said. Oh, at least at least eight years. So the ah. 240 that you were referring to was points. The federal system works based on points. Well, Sissy said that was months, 240 months. Okay. So I think that's what their, maybe the, the maximum would be, which would be 20 years, which is the maximum of one of the money laundering counts. And then, of course, other charges would be consecutive, or sorry, con- concurrent in that in that case. Is there any other sort of forfeiture or anything that may come with sentencing? You better believe it. Yeah, they took possible. a ton of gold and silver and uh, Bitcoin as well, so... I'm sure they're going to want to forfeit as much of that as they can uh, as they can possibly yeah, get. They're going to they're going to try and say that it was. Um, I'm trying to think how how they f- would phrase it in the, in the legal system, but it's something effectively. They're going to say it was mixed assets. If you're a marijuana dealer and at the federal level, you're not getting cut loose. Right. After I mean, the, this. the United States government did, went real pretty far with uh, Brittany Griner um, in order to get her out of a marijuana charge, right. spurious or not. We don't know. Um, and they certainly aren't making those same efforts on a local level <laughs> here in the United States. And not, uh, sort of interestingly, and the Republicans are kind of harping on this, is there's some Marine that's still being held um, yes. in, in, Russia. in Russia that you'd think they could have tra- traded you know, one marijuana smoker and one uh, spy for one international arms dealer. But apparently they couldn't make that deal. Story here reads, uh, sitting in a Moscow studio as snow fell outside, looking relaxed in a blue blazer and maroon t-shirt, Russian arms dealer Victor Boot described his 14 years in a U.S. prison in his first interview. Well, he certainly did some time. Since he was exchanged for Brittany Grinier, who was held in a Russian prison colony following a drug conviction earlier this year. He said, quote, the whole world basically is a game. Unquote, describing the lessons he says he learned from readings in Eastern philosophy. Putting that lesson into practice, Boot says he would begin mornings by laughing hysterically in defiance of his fate. The notorious arms dealer with alleged ties to Russian security services, Boot was arrested in Thailand in 2008, extradited to the U.S. in 2010, and was hit with a federal indictment charging him with a conspiracy to kill Americans by selling weapons to Colombian guerrillas. <laughs> not sure how the Colombian guerrillas are going to come here to kill Americans. But I, I am really curious how this is a terrorism charge. There was nothing he said of those charges. He was also accused of selling weapons to the Taliban in Afghanistan, which, of course, the United States gave them weapons back yeah, right, in the day right. to fight them. Uh, when you work for the government, the it's not a problem. so hypocritical. It's unbelievable. As well as to oppressive African regimes, the 2005 film with Nicolas Cage, Lord of War, is a glamorized retelling of his notorious exploits. Boot went on trial in New York City in 2011 and was convicted on terrorism charges, was slated to remain in prison until 2029. 
In his interview after last week's early release, he suggested his federal defense attorney had tried to romantically seduce him, crudely simulating her appearance with hand gestures. I'm not sure what that means. The interview aired on uh, RT. Oh, I see. Like the, doing the hourglass shape? With the hands? Yeah. Okay. I don't know what that means, but all right. The interview aired on RT, a state-run the Russian... The guy sounds insane. Tele- <laughs> ...television network and was conducted by Maria Butina, a Russian spy who was expelled from the United States in ni- uh, 2019 after spending more than a year behind bars. Even though Grenier's high profile probably protected her to some degree, conditions in Russian prisons and penal colonies have often been described as barbaric. And I don't know, have you guys heard if she's done an interview about the conditions in Russia yet? It'd be kind of interesting to hear um, her side of things. I don't know, but I imagine they, they were awful. It feels so good to be home, Grinner wrote in her post, including a photo of her stepping off the plane. Uh, Hero of Our Time read a description of the RT interview posted on YouTube. In that interview, Boot was eager to play the role of national martyr. Quote, everything that happened to me now is happening to our country, he said, alluding to the international condemnation Russia has experienced since launching the invasion of Ukraine earlier this year. He said further, quote, I'm proud that I'm Russian and Putin is our president. I honestly don't understand why we didn't do this earlier, he said of the unprovoked attack on Ukraine. (laughs) I... Imagine he wants very much to uh, kiss the ring. He also launched into a series of culture war attacks, not dissimilar from those made by Biden's critics on Fox News and elsewhere, saying, quote, in America right now, there is reverse racism to be a normal white person who wants a family, who wants children, who wants to love is very difficult, he said at one point. He also criticized efforts to find and prosecute organizers and perpetrators of the violent riot at the U.S. Capitol that sought to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. He said, look at what they did to the participants of the so-called armed insurrection on January 6th. (laughs) Boot additionally made criticisms of transgender rights and criminal justice reform. Yet he also claimed he was at peace and harbored no bitterness. He said, you have to learn to forgive. Okay. (laughs) Well, Well, I think he's right about that. I think he's right about that. Yeah. I, yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I don't know exactly what those statements, some of those statements were uh, that he was making in regards to some of those topics. But it sounds like some stuff I would agree with. Mm-hmm. He sounds like um, a crazy person and a demagogue to me. He may be. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And uh, psychopathic. I'm willing to go with that too. <laughs> I might be. Well, he does say the case against him was uh, garbage. Basically, he said, "quote There was nothing." Unquote. But they convicted him anyway, right? Well, well that's no, not unheard of. And this is not unusual in the system. Yeah. I, I, it reminds me of a case with uh, what that they don't have any evidence, or that the the, the convict thinks that their case is garbage. That they don't have any evidence. Right? <laughs> yeah, they like, just trot a guy uh, out and there, say, "Oh, he's a terrorist." There was a case uh, Hans Reiser in California where they conv- I and mean, this wasn't the federal level; this is the state level, but Nonetheless, they convicted a guy of murder and they couldn't even prove that she was dead. So we're talking about this guy in Montana, young man, 20 years old. He buys his own garbage truck, which isn't easy to do at age 20 for most people. He uh, what else did he buy? He bought a garbage truck and And some dumpsters, dumpsters. some dumpsters. And he was going to rent those dumpsters out, set them up on uh, construction sites, and then just go pick them up from time to time, empty them out at the, the county dump or wherever, a city dump. And Did, did he say uh, what town this was in Montana? Um, I don't know what the town is. I was just curious. I, I know I read this previously, but I don't remember what town okay. we were talking about. Anyway, things got complicated quickly for Nolan, however. Though he had registered his business, gotten the proper insurance, and compi- complied with all public health and safety standards, he was still missing one thing, a certificate 
of public convenience and necessity. Mm. Now, remember, what? this isn't about uh, this isn't about whether it's he- uh, healthy or safe or uh, whether or not he's insured or whether his business is registered with the government. This is a permit that says that the public will have a sufficient amount of convenience and needs this enough. That's what this is. Some huh? group of people, yep. the other business owners, get to make this decision, right? Because they're the ones that sit oh, on the board. The Montana Public Service Commission. The whole point of this is to reduce competition in the marketplace. Get out of here. Are you serious? That's what yes. it is. And yeah, this happens a, all this the is, time. This is the sort of story that I uh, Institute for Justice, actually. These are exactly the kind of stories Institute for Justice. Is this an Institute for Justice? No, this is fee, but uh, Foundation I, for I wouldn't surprise me at all if IJ gets involved in this at uh, some point. Yeah, this is exactly the kind of case that they take up. Um, it's it's these these you know these uh, the, minimizing competition for the for the benefit of you know some minority. Don't they do the exact same thing for hospitals? They have what's called a certificate of need for mm-hmm. hospitals, right? In most this is, cities. This is all over. There's all sorts of things yeah. like this all over the country. Well, usually it's just called licensing, right? Usually it's just you have to go in front of some stupid board sure. yep. and jump through their hoops and pay the fees. This is a little bit more specific, Yeah, this is a little different. Yeah, it's a little different. This is even more transparently... Uh, protectionism. You know, this is, pr- protectionism, you know, the business is protecting themselves. Yeah. This is in your face, like in the law itself, it says you have to prove that there is a demand in the marketplace or whatever, or a, like somehow yeah. it, it would be sir. And it, the only reason for it is like, at least with most licensing, it's like in the name of like protecting the public in some way. So yeah. a license is where you go in front of some arbitrary board of bureaucrats, which is usually the other competitors that don't yeah. want you to be in the game. And a certification is an independent, uh, quote-unquote, authority that people can turn to if they value the certification, jump through the hoops to get the certification, and then if they get it, it might make their value more uh, uh, higher in the marketplace. Yeah, I, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about, because I, there's actually something like that in the computer there's like, a bunch repair of world, yeah. and uh, I never got any kind of, you know, certification in, in, in that when I did that business, uh, or a business where I fixed people's computers. Why did you choose not to? Um, I, I thought they were, first of all, they're garbage anyway. I, there's no there's no real value in them, in my opinion. Um, if you've got you know, if you've got it up here, if you've got the knowledge, uh, sure. know, that's all you really need, right? Well, but somebody must think they're valuable because they get, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're still in business, right? Yeah. Like they're selling I mean, certifications. It, it, most of the time, I think it's to get past uh, uh, what, HR, basically, okay. in order to get into the office where, you know, you interview with the right. the employer. Gotcha. Right? H- HR uh, doesn't know whether or not you can fix computers, but if you've got a cert, then they can say, well, he had a certificate. Right. And it's starting my own business. I had no need you didn't for have HR. An, 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 right. It's actually funny. I actually worked for somebody else uh, another company uh repairing computers too and i still didn't need it uh, any kind of certification mm-hmm. um it's yeah it's 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 a joke it, it really is um in, in many cases even and these are these are in this case it's uh, there's no there's not really much danger maybe losing somebody's data possibly i mean but you know that's a liability issue and there's insurance for that and you know i never lost anybody's data i don't think but you know Going on with the story here, it says, as a result, right when he was about to get his business off the ground, he was given a cease and desist order by the Montana Public Service Commission, the agency responsible for administering the certificate law. Nolan applied for the certificate shortly thereafter in September 8, 2021, but his troubles were just getting started. Two national garbage companies, his would-be competitors, Hmm. protested his application, which they're allowed to do under the law. The companies issued various demands. 
Yeah, yeah, you better better believe mm-hmm. it. This is a the, mob. Yeah, the various ish, uh, the the companies issued various demands, such as data requests and Nolan's legal ex- expenses to fight the protests were soon thousands of dollars uh, and counting. Mm, yep, it's not easy to get your business off the ground, especially when your competition says you got to be well money to do it. Yeah, in November, and you're just throwing money in a hole. In November 9, 2021, Nolan made the difficult decision to withdraw his certificate application, seeing he could not afford the mounting legal expenses involved with fighting the protest. To this day, Nolan remains ready and willing to run his trash hauling business, but he is legally barred from doing so until he gets the certificate. His competitors got the government seats. They took it over. Yeah. Right? Uh, no, they filed in, in this case. I mean, I'm not, I, I, you know, this is a more broad government agency and the competitors filed a, you know, disputes with this agency saying, hey, hey we don't need competition. And, you know, the, he has to prove whether he's co- whether, you know, they need competition by going through all kinds of legal hurdles. Well, didn't thousands and him? thousands of dollars didn't worth this bureaucracy. Deny no, him? actually, they just kept asking, um, you know, the, the, the competitors kept on putting in pieces of paper asking for more proof that um, you know he would be a good competitor he or whatever afford the, case. the compliance that's what it right. was he it was had the to compliance withdraw. and he withdrew uh, his application so cuz he was continuing to just th- pour money into this right. bureaucracy in hmm. November 2015-2020 Nolan teamed up with the Pacific Legal Foundation to file an official complaint with Montana's 11th Judicial District Court, seeking hmm. a permanent injunction against further enforcement of the law on the ground that it violates his constitutional rights. And I hope that, uh, frankly, they get it around the board. We don't need a government agency to determine whether or not a uh, we need more competition in the marketplace. That is not their business. I agree. That's no, picking winners and losers. And here in Montana, I suspect it's probably Republican municipalities and Republicans are just as bad as Democrats oh, when it comes to... They're for small government, though, Mark. Yeah, I heard. sure. That's what they said. You know, you know, the crazy thing is just the idea that, like, how... It's it's like the idea of if we have too many competitors in the marketplace, we'll all go out of business. And it's like, no, that's not how the that's not how it really works in the real world. The right? weakest will it's go out of business. The weakest go out of business, and, and they then, deserve it. And then the and that you know, competitor the, may be the weakest because he's the one starting. It, it's a possibility, but he also might provide better service than the competitors. He might very well. Maybe the competitors have too much business and they can't keep up with the workload. And do it well, cheaper too. Right. And young people. You know, often have the kind of energy and the willingness to work for less so that they can build a business. Right. You know, I mean, that's and that's his business. He should be able to decide to do that. Yeah. If it if it sounds crazy that established players in an industry are empowered by the government to bury would be competition competitors, excuse me, and unnecessary legal fees. Well. It should, as PLF, that's the Pacific Legal Foundation, uh, you'd said IJ before, the Institute for Justice. Justice. Um, These are two organizations that do very similar things. PLF tends to be on the West Coast. Ah, okay. Um, They argue the laws uh, practically amount to a competitor's veto. Montana's Certificate of Public Convenience and Necessity Law allows established garbage companies to keep potential competitors like Nolan out of the market. PLF writes in their complaint, Nolan applied for a certificate but was forced to withdraw his application after some of the largest garbage companies in the nation protested his application, which imposed massive delays and created enormous financial costs. Do you guys ever hear of the blogger's license or something along those oh. lines? I mean, this is actually a real thing. No, and where is this? I can hardly uh, believe it. I don't know if it was called, the, I don't know if they called it the blogger's license specifically. I don't think they did, but it was something akin to that. 
Um, I, I don't really actually remember exactly where it was, what country, but th- yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, but it's the same thing. It's like, are you serious? Like we're talking about something that's free speech. And the idea, I think the idea was something around like, well, we can't have like, you know, unverified opinions on the internet or something. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, you know, we want to, you know, stamp out, uh, you know, anybody who has, uh, you know, a, a differing opinion than like the mm-hmm. mainstream government approved whatever right or the socially acceptable answer yeah i i think that that might be and i'm willing to believe concede that it might be just news agencies that are saying nope we don't need people reporting on the news we've got people who do that for a living and you're just undercutting their jobs but i tend to think that it's probably politicians saying these bloggers are getting under our skin. It's everybody's yeah, got a blog. Yeah. And, you know, here I was uh, in the in the bathroom propositioning a gay prostitute, and uh, <laughs> one of these bloggers saw me and went home and wrote it. And you know, like, and he's like, "This has got to stop." I used to be free to go into you know rest stop bathrooms across the country and find gay prostitutes, I mean, and now I can't. And meanwhile, the guy is the one who's actually curtailing that exact activity that he's doing. <laughs> Which well. which is the funniest part about the whole thing. It's like he's anti gay, you know, politically, sure. and he's, oh, sure. and he's going into bathrooms and uh, yeah, it's happened time and again. Sex. I'm ab- absolutely yeah. thinking of one particular politician. Yeah, I know, I know who you're thinking. And about. I don't know if it was like 12 years ago or something. I don't Some know the guy's name. National I don't know senator Republican was uh, caught in a bathroom but making I, a hand signal that yeah could just be completely innocent. Could be. Was this the one where they were playing footsie or another one? There's been more it than wasn't footsie. It was like a hand symbol down. By okay. the below, the low end of the uh, mm. the stall. It's, now, it, when I was in Europe, by the way, this whole let's leave a foot for uh, I don't know hand signals underneath the bathroom thing <laughs> just doesn't done. But here in the United States, it's done all over. You've got this little gap uh, between toilets, and mm. I guess you can mop under. They it. don't have that in Europe. There's no gap. I never know. There's no. They just don't do that. You go into a room. Mm-hmm. I was in a unisex bathroom. With yeah. uh, you know two yeah, toilets doors, doors the and floor. then an open area uh, wash basin, and there were women and men going into both of the toilets. My God, they weren't raping each other. No, nope. <laughs> uh, I mean we were all kind of surprised as American, and there's a few Americans in you know there at that time, and it was like, yeah, I was a little uh, blown away by this, but whatevs, you know. When in Europe, everything was okay. But by the way, uh, I had also been while I was there in a sauna where people are completely naked. Oh my God! And you know, <laughs> so what? You know, yeah. you want to take a look? Take a look. <laughs> Entrepreneurs make mistakes, and sometimes they make colossal mistakes. It's true, but but it's their money. Think right. about this, ladies and gentlemen: Sam Bankman fraud mm-hmm. and his colossal failure in the marketplace this guy who made just an incredible mistake has he affected you <laughs> was it a mistake though that's the yeah question. well <laughs> i don't know um but you know like the people who invested with him clearly we can say it's a mistake what did it affect you it it, it affected some people it affected a lot of people mm-hmm. but the vast majority of people it didn't however when the government decides to build a bridge to nowhere you're going to pay for it or you're going to prison yep. yeah that's true that's true. What else do we need to know about this story, Mark? There was more. Yep. 
Um, Nolan is hardly the only entrepreneur running into this problem. As PLF We're talking about garbage, by the way, in yes. Montana, the garbage business. Yeah. As PLF notes, there were eight applications for a Class D trash hauling certificate in Montana between January the first, twenty eighteen, and September the eighth, twenty twenty one. So is a few well, years. Yeah, that's uh, like three plus years. Yep. Um, all eight faced protests. As a result of the protests, we're not talking about protesters like average people. We're talking about protests from the existing businesses. Yeah, protests is a little bit of a joke. It's more like uh, a request to prohibit them from operating. This is the lawyers uh, protesting, (laughs) you know, and, uh, you know, they've cornered the market. Four of the applications were drawn. One was denied and two were granted the certificate only after agreeing to reduce the scope of their business. Wow. The story of one of the successful applicants who didn't have to reduce their scope. The one. Yeah. Um, the one, one of the eight. Uh, yes. Uh, was revealing. The only application who succeeded in securing a certificate over a protest and without reducing the scope of its business was L&L Site Services Incorporated in December 15, 2020, PLF notes, after a lengthy legal fight before the commission, which involved extensive discovery, including 13 supplemental responses. God. That's a lot of lawyer work. Yeah. Uh, What's to that cost? Allied Waste Services data requests, a five-day evidentiary hearing requiring oh, le- legal representation and contentious oral argument. L&L's application was granted uh, six months later, almost six months later, after wow. two dissenting votes from defendants Brad Johnson and Randy Pinocchi. Now, the article uh, doesn't explain... I've gotta put up here as well and it doesn't explain when they say the defendants are the ones who voted against these people so uh, is brad johnson and randy pinocchi on the board of directors or whatever of this government bureaucracy and That's are they thought. also running trash companies well i don't know if they are but the clearly the this organization is bought off yeah in many cases, the step down from this is, you know, if you want to be a massage therapist, you have to get one of the massage par- therapist licenses from one of the many massage therapy schools, right? Now, we see in some cases, smaller states, for instance, there'll be one cosmetology school, mm-hmm. and you've got to go there in order to buff someone's nails. Because you could kill them! Or whatever the, uh, <laughs> the, the claim is. And, and I mean, like, I can see why people say this, but this this is the most broad and clear, um, you know, instance where this absolutely needs to be done with this immediately. Montana and every other state needs to get rid of these boards that say who can compete because and this happens, by the way, with doctors, too. They um, they limit the number of schools that can yeah. that can you know kick out doctors, thus limiting the number of doctors. You can only have so many doctors educated in the United States in a given year, not because of how many people want to be doctors, but because of how many seats there are in medical school. Well, that's one control, but then there's also the actual licensing. I mean, there's plenty of nurses, for instance, who have what it takes to do a lot of the things doctors can do, but they're not allowed legally to do so. If, unless they're a quote-unquote doctor. So, I mean, and, and there could be, you know, maybe shade tree doctors. People shade that, tree doctors. Yes, people, they could. And, and what I mean by that is, like, for instance, look during the COVID situation where you literally had doctors being stripped of their licenses because of what they were saying that was counter to the official government propaganda yeah. about COVID. You had doctors who were, you know, in the game for decades in the world of doctoring, and yep. they lost their license. And plenty and, of doctors who had stepped out, like retired doctors who are like, no, no, 
no, no, this is crazy. They reti- yeah, okay. They were already retired, and they're like, uh, well, you can't take my license from me. And mm. there were even more of them. Because yeah. they, they had nothing they to, lose. to lose. Right. You know, so how many doctors towed the line in order to keep the license? I don't know, but I know some did. If those doctors who were stripped of their licenses had gone on and operated anyway publicly, they would have had a visit from a SWAT team or, you know, some sort of government goons that forced them at the threat of violence, potentially arresting them, potentially harming them yeah. to stop being a doctor. Whereas if they wanted to keep their shingle hang, uh, hung out for people that wanted to take their word for what yep. they thought of COVID, then they should have been able to do that. People do this all the time. I mean, they don't call themselves MDs, mm-hmm. but there's all kinds of doctors out. People call themselves doctors and are doctors or whatever. And people go to for medical advice that, um, you know, do anything from selling magic water mm-hmm. to adjusting your spinal cord, uh, uh, spinal column to you know, um, naturopathy. There's all kinds of things out there that aren't MDs. So we were going to talk about uh, Sam Bankman fraud, allegedly. And he is uh, currently out on bail. Uh, he's facing eight charges at the moment. His buddies have allegedly taken a plea deal. His uh, ex-girlfriend Caroline was facing over 100 years in prison, and she took a plea, as did his co-founder, Mr., I believe, Gary Wang. I know his last name is Wang. I think first And you know the, the deals for these people significantly better. The government doesn't care about getting... Uh, justice it cares no. about getting the name yes and so sam's the name they want yep and i don't know what they're offering him at this point but they probably they're probably going to be offering him something sure. soon or already have uh and we will find out i'm sure if he takes that deal relatively soon but for now his uh, cohorts are turning on him according to compound 248 on twitter he looked over the SEC filing. So there's actually two sides to this now. So you've got the criminal charges that are being brought in the FTX case. Uh, for those that don't, don't know, we're talking about a cryptocurrency exchange that failed spectacularly uh, back in early November. They're bringing criminal charges for things like wire fraud and various different conspiracy to commit wire fraud and things like that uh, for the operators of the FTX exchange, including uh, Mr. Bankman, his ex-girlfriend and his co-founder, and probably some others. But now the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, has also brought a lawsuit, in this case against FTX, in regards to the FTT token. So mm. FTX had its own token that it issued, and the SEC, and the SEC is saying that that token was a so-called security. And so they're bringing a very similar case probably to what they brought against Library, what Library lost, unfortunately, against the SEC within yeah. recent weeks. And they're doing the same thing. But what they're doing is they, uh, before they filed this case, they spoke with Bankman's ex-girlfriend and Wang, the other guy who was involved, and got some information because they are now cooperating mm-hmm. uh, with the federal government. So according to the SEC's lawsuit, the, uh, the, the account here at Twitter, Compound248, dug some of the information up here. Apparently, they say that uh, Mr. Wang had built a backdoor to the FTX exchange for Alameda Research, which was Sam Bankman's investment house, uh, in order for them to sweep funds out of FTX and then use that for their own investing purposes, to take customer money and use that for investing and trading and things that they weren't supposed to be doing with customer money. 
apparently Sam invested in real estate, politicians, and venture capital. Caroline says Sam directed her to take customer funds from FTX in exchange for their made-up FTTS coin. This directly contradicts Sam's repeated I don't know statements. Caroline is throwing Sam under the bus. Well, <laughs> they were throwing each other under the bus. He, th- he was throwing her under the bus previously. Sure. Mm. Uh, but she's the one cooperating with the feds. They say that apparently they were manipulating those tokens also by... And it seems very clear they were. Yeah. Buying them on exchanges and, of course, you know, giving uh, these tokens out in you know, return for whatever things that their customers were doing and... Uh, and then, of course, what happened was that token took a, a big fall in early uh, November, and a lot of their assets were sort of backed by that token or whatever. That's my understanding of it. Yeah. By no means am I a financial expert. But I will link to this full piece, which includes ex- excerpts from the actual What they were uh, doing was document. what banks have done for a very long time, it's fractional reserve banking. They, uh, but without the government's okay. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. are essentially issuing tokens and then keeping up the value of them. It's a little different, um, you know, a bit more of a shell game, but it's very similar. If a bank, which is uh, can lend out $10... For every $1 on deposits, and then mm-hmm. it has the backing of the United States federal government to pay off most of their accounts, uh, because most of their accounts are going to be below $100,000. It's $250,000 I mean, Is it two fifty? dollars This is why I don't feel like this is that big of a deal by, compa- I mean, by comparison, because the, the government does the same dang thing. So why are we so upset when, when somebody does it on a private, like at a private level, right? It's a private company at a private level. You bought into it. You didn't have to keep your, your crypto on the exchange. You did. You chose to, um, you know, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I've said, you know, don't hold your money on an exchange. If they go under or well, whatever, you could lose it. Agreed. And don't hold your money anywhere. If it's not your t- keys, it's not right. your coin. Right. I mean, and you know that's you know it's a it's a good lesson that has been brought home time and well, again. Now, now but these saying, people don't deserve to be ripped off. If you have a there's a difference between a government bank. <sighs> they'll use the full faith and credit of the United States to stick a gun in your neighbor's face, take their money from them, and then pay you off with it. But what's the alternative? Regulations and violence? I don't think that's the answer. I don't the, think I don't think you know making it regulated. The is alternative is the, the market maker. Those are the banks. The market makers do this every day, and but they're backed. This company does it. Does, sure. Comes and does it because the world accepts it. Like bank runs used to be a pretty regular thing, and yeah. now they aren't because everybody knows they're going to be covered, except right. for the people at FTX. Because there's no, I mean, but these people chose that, right? You chose I, to do and use something that's unregulated. I, I get it. I don't know. A I, lot of people chose it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't see why I should be forced to use something that's regulated. And why are you forced to do cho- that? Because they won't allow. They're trying to force regulation down our throat. On and I don't want to go and use something that's regulated. You live in the United States. I mean, you could have gone to the Bahamas and and been without they regulation. They were based out of the Bahamas, though. I know. <laughs> that's what I'm telling you. You don't want regulation. Go someplace else. So Washington Post, in a story that actually I bookmarked around Thanksgiving, we didn't have a chance to get to it, but I think it might be interesting. It's uh, it's about people and just being alone. The headline, Americans are choosing to be alone, and here's why we should reverse that. 
Uh, so they talk about people in Thanksgiving not going to see their family. They say time spent with friends went down during COVID-19 and time spent alone went up. Thanksgiving was not spared. Americans spent 38% less time with friends and extended family over the Thanksgiving weekend in the last two years than they had a decade prior. And now they say for the scarier news, our social lives were withering dramatically before COVID-19. And we've talked about this, how people have gone online, especially younger people, spending less time with their friends and apparently their families as well. Between 2014 and 2019, time spent with friends went down and time spent alone went up by more than it did during the pandemic. And then they give a a chart uh, that shows that. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I watch social media, Instagram and, uh, you know, maybe other places. I don't even know. But I see a lot of memes from a lot of introverts, hypochondriacs, weirdos. Mm -hmm. um, And (laughs) I don't I I mean, I don't get it, but it seems to be causing social you you won't even, you know, go to your room or something like that. You don't know how much I want to go to my room. Um, You know, (laughs) go to bed for me means looking at my phone in a different section of the house. You know, like just uh, all these memes about being miserable, sleepy, Mm. um, single, fat, anxious, lonely, Mm -hmm. mentally ill. Like, you know, this is lauded and talked about all the time. You would have never talked about this, uh, you know, decades in the past. You would have never advocated for your own mental health in this way. You're like, mm. oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a kooky one. You, know, you wouldn't do that. Yeah, I, I don't. I guess I don't hang out in the same places where you get these memes, Mark. So I don't really see them <laughs> as often. But I don't. I don't deny what you're saying. I suspect it's true. Uh, we certainly see it well, amongst young people who are always talking. It seems like about being depressed and anxious. Yeah. Like I've never heard. I never heard that growing up. When you know, in the 1990s or whatever, when I was in high school, I didn't hear people talk about that. But now you hear it all over the place. It's like a badge of honor. I mean, Arya's talked about how people on uh, Twitter are ba- are putting their um, their mental issues in their profile bio. <laughs> Wait, like what? That's what they want people to know about them. That they have depression, that they have anxiety, that they have you know gender dysphoria. Okay. Now don't forget adding your pronouns. That's just more yeah. mental illness. Yeah. So, uh, according to the Census Bureau's American Time Use Survey, the amount of time the average American spent with friends used to be stable at six and a half hours per week between 2010 and 2013. And then in 2014, the time spent with friends began to decline. By 2019, the average American was spending only four hours per week with friends, which was a 37% decline from just five years pre- uh, previous. Similar declines can be seen even when the definition of friends is expanded. So let's say your friends include your neighbors, your coworkers, and your clients. In that case, the average American spent 15 hours a week uh, with their, that broad group okay. a decade ago, 12 hours in 2019, and down to only 10 hours per week in 2021. So that's a 33% decline. That's, yeah, pretty in the high. Last decade. I wonder whether they include, I mean, you know, uh, something that's been declining dramatically over the years is clubs. Now, my dad was a member of the Moose Lodge. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, there was a bunch of these things at one point. You know, different clubs. The Elks Lodge. Yeah, Elks, Eagles. Uh, Eagles is BPOE, mm-hmm. I think is what it is. Um, El- uh, Eagles is uh, for FOE, Fraternal right. Order of Eagles. And the Odd Fellows Club. And, you know, just a whole sure, variety a of, of these. Uh, then then you include Lions and JCs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, any variety of uh, the Toastmasters. And there's all kinds of varieties of these clubs. Clubs. Uh, there's also the Italian American clubs right. and the Swiss American clubs, and you know a bunch of these where they're ethnically based in, in whatever way that they do it. And um, in different ethnicities, by the way, have different clubs too. And I don't want to leave those out. I just don't know as much about them. And these things are nearly gone. Hmm. There's, um, you know, there in, in Sarasota where I'm from, there is an elk, there is a moose lodge still. Um, I don't know where it is. What's or the average age of the member? God, it has to be old. <laughs> the, there's a trailer park on North Trail, um, which you're familiar with, yeah. which is reserved for members of the Eagles Club. Huh. And so, if you're a member of the Eagles Club, you can get a you can go to this uh, 55 and over tra- trailer park. Which yeah. in Florida, by the way, if it's 55 and over, the trailer park is probably pretty nice. Okay, but if it's not 55 and over, not so it's much. an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I just wonder what has happened to those things. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, like they uh, got to have a real hard time bringing in new members into those things. It's got to be. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't spend a lot well, of time. And, at those and one clubs, more thing, but, even before that, I always wonder about the shakers. You know who these are, these people are? Aren't they basically extinct? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're a religion from the, that started diminishing around the 1880s. Because mm-hmm. they, uh, they didn't want to have sex. The, the, right? They were celibate. Yeah. So, and they always brought people in, but the Industrial Revolution made it so that people could uh, you know, make it on their own without living in clubs, essentially. And there's a couple handful of shakers left with all this property, and they don't know what they're going to do with it. Mm. You know? I mean, if if the hus, I'm surprised the hustlers haven't come in. I'm a shaker. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't know. You just listened to the new extended Free Talk Live Daily Digest. We felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast. If you subscribe to the Daily Digest or full episode RSS feeds please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com, or tune into our 24-7 stream for the latest show, at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live. 